0: This is The Menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on Native food and food sovereignty. I'm Andy Murphy. A new Native cookbook, Shimi Native California Foodways for the Contemporary Kitchen, brings to light the wild flavors of all four seasons with a bit of an Italian twist. Menominee chef Jessica Cut nailed a spot on the Chicago Bears' small business all-pro team. And renovations and construction at the Minneapolis American Indian Center means a new executive chef for Gatherings Cafe. We're back after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The native village of Karluk on Kodiak Island in Alaska went viral this summer for an ad offering cost-free living in an effort to reopen its school. But just a month after classes started, the school is closing again. KMXT's Brian Venwa reports.
2: The decision to close the school was unanimous at an emergency school board meeting. Cindy Mecca is the Kodiak Island Borough School District Superintendent.
3: It's a sad day when you have to close a school, Um, and it's not anything that I ever wanted to do in my tenure, Um, and it's nothing that I want to ever repeat again, so... It, it weighs heavy on your heart when you have to close a
2: school. Carleck, on the southwest end of Kodiak Island in Alaska, had just a few dozen year-round residents, with only two of them being school-age kids. The village advertised free living expenses for two families to move there over the summer because the state requires 10 students to be enrolled in order to receive funding. The ad worked. Two families with eight kids between them moved to Carleck in September, and the district's Board of Education voted to reopen the facility. Then both of the new families had left Carleck. A representative for the Tribal Council said in an email it was a blow to the community. She said, quote, it's so disappointing. We thought we picked the right families. October is when the Alaska Department of Education does a headcount of students for funding. But since the families left before the count was finished, Mika says they could be out $80,000 in their already tight budget.
3: We didn't make it through the count. That's predominantly the reason why that is really solely the only reason why we are closing.
2: The district is currently working with the state to try to get prorated funding for serving the 10 students for the weeks they stayed in the village, but otherwise the money will have to come out of the district's fund balance or savings. While it didn't work out, Mika says she still stands by her recommendation and the Board of Education's decision to reopen the school.
3: We did the right thing. It was a risk. Um, It didn't pay off, but um, you know, we did our best while we had the school open.
2: The building will officially close on November 2nd, exactly one month after it opened. The kids in Carlick are currently working with the school district to transition back to homeschooling. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Benoit.
1: Artist Buffy St. Marie is speaking out about a media report that questions her Indigenous identity. As Dan Karpanchuk reports, a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation documentary suggests St. Marie's claim to Indigenous ancestry is contradicted by family members and a birth certificate.
4: The CBC says it found her birth certificate. It says she was born in 1941 in Stoneham, Massachusetts. Her parents were Albert and Winifred St. Marie. The documents also list the baby as white and includes a signature by an attending physician. From her early days, Saint-Marie has claimed to be a Cree woman. That's now being contradicted by members of her own family and an investigation suggesting she has European roots. Saint-Marie says the questions about her origins are hurtful. These questions hurt me. They still do, but they also hurt others. They're questions I've struggled
0: with my whole
4: life. In the 1971 Buffy St. Marie songbook, which she wrote and illustrated, she said, when I go home to the Cree Reserve in Canada, where I was born, I usually spend a few hours of every day teaching the Cree language. Also in a 1986 interview with the Los Angeles Times Magazine, she said she had been born on the Piapot Reserve in Saskatchewan. In her 2018 biography, there's no official record of her birth. I
3: don't know where I'm from, who my birth parents are, or how I ended up a
0: a, a misfit in a typical white Christian New England town.
4: The 82-year-old St. Marie says she realized decades ago that she would never have the answers. Still, some Indigenous academics say it's unacceptable for non-Indigenous people to speak for Indigenous people and take honours they shouldn't. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk.
1: And I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
5: NATIONAL NATIVE NEWS IS PRODUCED BY KOWANAK BROADCAST CORPORATION WITH FUNDING BY THE CORPORATION FOR PUBLIC BROADCASTING. SUPPORT BY AARP. AARP CREATES AND CONNECTS PEOPLE TO UNIQUE TOOLS AND PROGRAMS, HELPS CONSERVE PERSONAL RESOURCES AND TACKLES ISSUES THAT MATTER MOST TO INDIVIDUALS, FAMILIES AND COMMUNITIES. MORE AT AARP.ORG. SUPPORT BY DRUMMOND WOODSOM a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com.
6: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is the menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on Native food and food sovereignty. I'm Andy Murphy, resident foodie and producer here at Native America Calling. The Minneapolis American Indian Center is going through major reconstruction, and so is the Gathering's Cafe, a small eatery physically connected to the center and its mission to promote Native community health and connectedness. The new executive chef of gatherings cafe joins us to talk about future plans and rebranding. Uh, Speaking of branding, later in the hour, we'll talk with Menominee chef Jessica Walks first about how her catering business has boomed after getting special help from the Chicago Bears. But first, a new cookbook is out. It's called Sheminuam, Native California Foodways for the Contemporary Kitchen by Karuk Home Cook, native Calvosa, or uh, Sarah Calvosa Olson. You can join us to tell us about your favorite native cookbook. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Mill Valley, California is... Is Sarah Calvosa uh, Olson? She's a food, uh, foodways worker and author of *Shimi Nuam: Native California Foodways for the Contemporary Kitchen*. And she's Karuk. Welcome to the menu, Sarah. Ayuki. thank you for having me. All right. So, in the first couple of pages of this cookbook, you describe it as uh, inconvenient. <laughs> Why is that?
7: Uh, there's a lot of groundwork to be laid before, um, you know, before you can really get started on, on some of these recipes. And I think it, it, I mean, my, I, I think that there's a connection that needs to be made beforehand. And, um, you know, it's a little bit like studying first before you, I think like anything we, you know, when you're learning something new, you have to do the educational piece first. So that's really what this is. It's kind of, a um, an all-in-one educational piece and cookbook. So people who are just getting started on, a, on this journey have a sort of primer for that
0: path. Okay. And when you mean, um, getting started on this journey, what is, what is this journey? Yeah, just a, a journey
7: of, uh, taking a look at our foodways in a, in a different way and turning the lens that we use to uh, interact with our foods um, kind of upside down and uh, in a way that centers indigenous people, but also uh, our oldest
0: relatives all around us. Right, and uh, there are uh, recipes like um, elk medallions with acorn miso rub, maple cheesecake, um, elk cottage pie, pine pollen casio e pepe. so um, all of those sound completely delicious, and the, and the uh, photos for them are also delicious. Uh, t- tell me about the, the process of putting these recipes together, and, and where they come from?
7: Yeah, so these are recipes that I make for my family here at home. They are recipes that I developed in a way to connect my own children to being Karuk because we were living away from our, you know, community, and I really wanted them to develop a taste for these flavors and to begin to appreciate the You know, bitterness and earthiness and fishiness that um,
0: comes with our with the full breadth of our palates. All right. And um, what does it mean to for you to add in flavors like uh miso like uh dairy from you know for for a cheesecake for example um into into a cookbook like this uh about native california foodways. Why was that yeah, important?
7: That's a yeah, that's a that's a great a great question. So this is definitely a beginner's uh, cookbook. It's for people who are just getting started and are trying to figure out a way to move slowly and intentionally into a different direction with the way that they think about their foods. And be, you know, we did not invent this; these food systems and that are the Western food systems and the grocery stores and all of that. And and we've all grown up with these systems. So decolonizing that all at once is an unrealistic ask, I think. But I do like I said there's that in that educational piece. So if we're moving forward slowly and intentionally in the beginning, there's the educational piece, the connection and the reconnection, um reaccessing these natural rhythms, all of those things that come with it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, you tell a little bit of your story in the beginning of the, of the cookbook, and you mentioned your uh, Italian heritage, and you can definitely see that uh, woven throughout the whole uh, cookbook here. Uh, why it was it important for you to include that side of your identity in a cookbook like this? Well, that's who I am. So I feel like I brought my full self
7: into this work and I tried to be um as open as possible in sharing the things that I do and know about, you know, our food ways and what I've done to see if it resonates with anybody else. And uh yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of creativity and a lot of community building in that in in food ways on my dad's side of the family. It was it It was one of the first ways that I really felt that food could be a way to bring people together, and not just in the gathering of it, and not just in that, but also in the celebrations and the feasts and the way that we show love to each
0: other. Mm. So what do you hope uh, folks learn uh, about you, about... uh uh, native California foodways when they go through this cookbook and maybe even, uh, cook a few dishes from this cookbook? What do
7: I hope that they will learn about me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope, I don't know that I've, I, I don't necessarily love being perceived personally, but <laughs> if I hope that when people are going through it, that they feel, um, that they feel that this is doable. These are accessible recipes, that these are some things that they can do and <clears throat> maybe even expound on and, and, and build on and and do better than I can do and make even more cookbooks. And I would love to have a whole shelf full of creative ways of incorporating these foods and these relationships into into my life too. So I hope that it's just one more stepping stone for other people.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so folks who maybe are not familiar with, um, uh, uh, maybe the way you and I read a cookbook um, I, I can imagine reading a cookbook is like uh, reading instructions for how to put together like a dining table or something like that or maybe you know that's that's maybe uh, a, an old way of thinking about a cookbook but it really like tells a story about a person and their culture and um, you know sometimes a lot of history that comes from um, Uh, just the movement of food and how it became part of this person's uh, identity. Uh, What are some of your favorite things about, um, you know, looking through cookbooks and reading cookbooks and even cooking from them?
7: Yeah, I, I really love to, to read, these stories of how people came to develop their own foodways and especially when people who are bringing foodways from their ancestry and, you know, uh, and then incorporating that into what, wherever they are um, geographically. So they're bringing in the land on top of their own, you know, uh, ancestral history And I think that is important because a lot of the times, especially here in California, we consider ourselves. You know, we we have a a cultural identity in California that includes uh, a lot of southern, uh, like in the, a lot of um, cooking with like indigenous migrant foods, and you know the taco trail and all of that. But they we don't necessarily spend the time to hear the stories and respect the people that are are pulling these foods from the earth for us and have brought these foodways to us to help develop this identity. So I I, I really enjoy when I read a cookbook and I, I want to know, I want to hear everybody's story about how they came here, what they've, you know, what they've done to adapt. And I, I actually do really love to read the actual stories inside the cookbooks.
0: Mm-hmm um what uh, in the making of uh this cookbook uhshimiwam what did you learn about um the intersections of uh indigenous food and uh Italian food not only you know within yourself but uh just kind of doing the research on on these these foods and flavors and where they come from mm.
7: well, nothing good andy. <laughs> <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> wasn't it wasn't great but yeah the i i mean there's obviously there's a lot of crossover from uh from you know the the you know tomatoes and chilies and all of the things that came you know that were grown here in the america's pre-columbian times and then you know i've got the italian immigrant style food of the of you know the tin tomatoes and things like that 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 have become really pervasive to Italian food culture and, and, but also some old village recipes and old village style cooking that, that I thought there was interesting crossover between eating a lot of fermented fish and um, there, you know, there, there's some crossover there. They ate a lot of acorns, they ate chestnuts and uh, yeah. So there, it was, it was interesting. It's interesting always to kind of go, to go back and try to scratch beneath that surface, the pre-Columbian surface over there as well, and how were they eating in the villages? Okay. And um, yeah, and, and I could see that that same sort of community mentality in though in that side of my ancestry as well. So.
0: Okay, all right, we'll be back with uh, the menu right after this break here. If you don't already have your nose in a spooky book this Halloween, there are plenty of indigenous authors who have exactly what you need to sleep with the lights on. On the next Native America Calling, we'll hear from some writers in the new collection of dark stories, Never Whistle at Night, and more.
5: Support by AARP. If someone asks you to buy gift cards to pay off debt, it's a scam. Imposters will claim your Social Security numbers at risk, or your utility company will stop service due to late payments, or you won the lottery and only need to pay some upfront costs. They'll say the fastest way is to buy gift cards and share the numbers on the back. Anyone who tells you to pay a debt with a gift card is a scammer. More information on gift card scams at aarp.org slash gift cards.
0: You are listening to The Menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on indigenous food and food sovereignty. I'm Andy Murphy, and we're talking with Karuk home chef, home cook, Sarah Calvosa Olsen, about her new cookbook, Shimi Noam. You can join us, too. What Native cookbook are you reading through? Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Uh, Sarah, um... There's a, there's a recipe in here called uh, Indian whoopie pie, <laughs> Indian whoopie pies, and they look pretty awesome. Um, t- t- tell us about the, um, the process of recipe making. It's not, it's not as easy as just like making it one time and then that's it. What What is that process like?
7: Yeah. The the development, well, for Indian whoopie pies, that was one of the things that I developed for my children because I really wanted them first to, to love acorn and to have a really good association with it and with that earthiness. And, and so with the recipe development process, it is a lot, it's, it's pretty intense because I have to do a lot of recipe testing. And in the way that I cook as a home cook, I normally am just sort of, you know, eyeballing it. So there was about, you know, there was a lot more involved. I had to do, you know, if I say I did, you know, a certain number of recipe tests, I had to do that much times more gathering. So five, seven times more gathering than I normally would. Mm -hmm. And the process was intense just to make sure that those recipes were going to work out every time because these ingredients again, aren't super well tested all the time. So yeah, it was complex.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think some folks realize how much uh, gathering and how much work <laughs> gathering is, especially when making a cookbook like this uh, with indigenous ingredients, with wild ingredients, um, or even, you know, that kind of work that goes on to make like a a, a dinner or a lunch featuring some of these ingredients. Um, and, you know, this cookbook is full of a lot of acorns, and I can imagine, like how much harvesting you had to do for, um, for all of these recipes here. Um, what, what are, what are some of your favorite, uh, uh, ingredients to, uh, use? I
7: love, uh, (sighs) I love acorns but I also this time of year it's it's time for uh vish, which is tan oak mushroom mm-hmm. is popping up right now and the tan oak mushroom is just such a um, unique and special little relative it it's not like any mushroom that you've ever had and it and it it really retains that kind of herbal floral forest taste inside the mushroom And it's one of my favorite things. And and it's just starting this time of year for them to come out. So yeah, that's probably going to
0: be my favorite going forward for the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. Uh, You um, separate, uh, uh, you know, these recipes in uh, the seasons, uh, fall, winter, spring, summer. Why'd you do that? Yeah, well fall is the beginning of uh, a cutting new
7: year so I thought that would be a great place to start and it's also where you can start gathering acorns and using uh, and and preserving them for use throughout the year. And as as you know as we get these staples in season and preserve them throughout the year, then these re- they'll these ingredients will show up in recipes throughout the year and I'm hoping that The more people are able to gather and preserve and put them away, it has, you know, bigger implications for food security and community um, and community food security as well.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to ask uh, more of that. Um, How does this cookbook um, and and food sovereignty, indigenous food sovereignty, how does that go together? Where does uh, this cookbook fit? Where do native cookbooks fit within uh, this whole native food sovereignty movement?
7: Yeah, well, the more that we can um, we can reaccess and reclaim some of this food knowledge and, you know, and 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 be able to gather in safety, I think that that adds another element for our own food security in our communities. And when we are able to un- re-understand and re-access and reconnect to something like acorns, you can look around and see all around you an abundance of food everywhere. Whereas if you are not connected to it, it just doesn't, you don't, it, it feels very scarce. So I'm hoping that in this cookbook that people will find, begin to re-access this, but also have some compelling and fun things to make with these foods when they go through all the work of gathering and processing and, and that they'll have something fun to make and be excited to do it again in the following season and to teach more people what they learned themselves in that time and, and hopefully just grow our, our food security efforts.
0: Right right um where um th- th- this cookbook came out uh, when and and how is it available it came out in september and it's available um
7: at uh the Heyday website you can get it anywhere um right. i think uh, Bar- barnes and noble and amazon but
0: okay <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you are interested in um, looking up this book, we have a link on our website, nativeamericacalling.com, if you look for our show for today. Uh, so I want to go over to our next guest here. Joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota, is Vernon Defoe. He is the executive chef of Gatherings Cafe at at the minneapolis american indian center he's an anishinaabe from red cliff wisconsin welcome to the menu vernon
6: hi how's it going
0: hey going pretty good um you're listening to the conversation so far and um you know a lot of discussion about cookbooks of course and i, I just kind of wanted to know from a chef's perspective um wh- do you use cookbooks uh maybe as much as uh maybe me and sarah do
6: um yeah i we had a little brief conversation earlier and i kind of said like not really um <laughs> and then after listening to all this i was like oh um but a lot of the ways that i would learn how to cook was uh like at a restaurant and stuff so um, i use them as a reference and I, I do actually collect cookbooks, but they're not like the, like the typical ones that you would collect. I like to find kind of, you know, different, different types of cookbooks, um, you know, so this would be like right up in my alley.
0: Definitely. Um, uh, Sarah, um, when you are out uh, looking for cookbooks, uh, what, what, what grabs your eye? All right, um we're having a little bit of an issue here with um with uh, connecting to our guests here, but uh, you are listening to the menu on Native America calling. We are talking about um Uh, what's new and current in Native food. So it looks like we have uh, our chef back. We have Vernon uh, back. Uh, Vernon, you were just talking about um, using, you know, cookbooks as a reference. Um, uh, You learned a lot from just cooking in the kitchen and restaurants for a while now. You've been uh, cooking in restaurants for, you know, a little over 20 years. Um, Tell me what it means for you to become uh, the executive chef of gatherings cafe in minneapolis
6: um it means a lot uh just because uh let's it's just like we're incorporating you know more indigenous flavors but kind of like uh, what was talked about earlier um it can be tough for people to you know develop a palate for certain things um it's taken me a long time even um to develop stuff and uh different flavors like the earthiness and the bitterness um but you know adding it here and there uh to different things and uh kind of blending those together so they're more approachable for people that aren't used to them is kind of what we're going to be doing also um and
3: all right,
0: we are um, having a little bit of difficulty here. I'm gonna go back to Sarah. Sarah, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, all right, Sarah. Um, I, I, I want to uh, ask you about cookbooks again. <laughs> when you're looking around for a new cookbook to um, to to buy to read, what what pops up? Uh, what what catches your attention?
7: Uh, it, it's usually, it's, uh, either, it's either somebody where I can, I can, you know, it's a story that I want to hear or an ingredient that I am interested in hearing a new perspective about. I, I love the something like the whole fish cookbook, the, um, Josh and Island just came out with another one called fish butchery. And I love the idea of teaching people how to use these really precious ingredients and to look at them in a different way. And I really appreciate what he does with that and, and, and the way he has this reverence for fish, because that's, that is, I can definitely relate to that reverence for fish and, and, and really genuinely believing that there's five delicious things you can eat on a fish head alone. So mm-hmm. I really, I really appreciate things like that. So yeah, um, yeah. but I have a, an eclectic mix. <laughs>
2: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah uh, uh, for me you know some of the photography is what uh, jumps out at me um, I love looking at uh, different different lighting and uh, different colors that uh, uh, photographers use and how you know they the chef and the photographer and maybe there's even a stylist all work together to put something together. I know I've been um, part of a, a, a little photo shoot to um, you know with a chef and a a stylist and me behind the camera and it was uh interesting to work with everybody in that way I can imagine how much work that uh happens when uh you're putting a whole cookbook together with all these people um uh Sarah what um what does it mean for you to be a food waste worker i know uh we were talking you know beforehand before the show today and uh you were kind of thinking no oh, i'm not really a chef i'm not really you know this and that i do all kinds of stuff why don't you call me a food waste worker what, what does that mean yeah i think it just it means that i
7: am uh well i'm not a chef and but i am a, a community member and i really believe in and openly sharing with my community in and being in service of, of that, of those connections. So if there's anything that people don't know, or if they would like a new introduction, I want, I am, that's the work that I do and that I want to keep doing is keep connecting people and to keep, you know, teaching and sharing what I know.
0: All right. All right. Looks like we have uh, Vernon back. Um, Vernon, how? What kind of uh, renovations and uh, you know construction projects are going o- on over at the American Indian Center there in Minneapolis?
6: Yeah. First, I just wanted to apologize. I was I was not on Wi-Fi, but I'm hoping that this will help now. Um, okay. <laughs> but yes. So um, it's going. It's having a, a thirty million dollar remodel going to be pretty big. Um, The cafe part of it is a completely new build out from where it was. So you'll walk into the main entrance and um, back in the day and it was kind of hard to find it. It actually just was like a commercial kitchen and they weren't really sure what to do with it. Um, It was kind of in a weird spot in the middle of the building. Um, But now you can walk in and it's going to be right to the left and It'll be pretty obvious for people to see
0: it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I visited Gatherings Cafe uh, way, way long time ago, maybe 2018 before the pandemic, and it was uh, a, a little bit, um, a little bit odd. Like a person coming off the street, you're like is it really here? Is it in that building? Is it around the building? <laughs> um, what uh, What do you hope kind of happens going forward with uh, uh, the the menu? Are, are you already thinking about new menu items and kind of uh, giving like a fresh flavor profile there?
6: Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a little bit like the way it was. Um, it's going to be kind of it's going to be affordable and healthy foods for people, um, so that's kind of the, the main thing. And then, um, you know, from there we're going to add indigenous ingredients and uh, different en- menu items and stuff like that. There's also going to be catering, um, and besides that, we also, since it's a nonprofit, we do have like some grants that we'll be fulfilling with like partner departments within the. Indian Center itself, um, which we're still actually currently doing. So we have some cooking demos coming up. Um, we're going to be building some some meal kits for people to make soups at home, and we'll be doing a cooking demo on those. Um, currently, um, we're making a chili for the elders program. Um, so continuing to do that, plus um, regular catering for whoever wants to just have catering meals from us. So. All
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. Why is this cafe an important part of the American Indian center and the native community there?
6: Uh, Well, it's the main focus is about, you know, health and reconnecting people with, um, traditional ingredients and whatnot. So I just hope to kind of expand on that, um, and bring some new stuff to people. Um, And, you know, slip a little things here and there in the meals, like, you know, putting dandelion greens, which are super bitter, but are really good for you. And also, you know, traditional. So, you know, putting some dandelion greens in a salad or obviously all the proteins we'll be using are gonna be from, um, they're gonna be indigenous animals. And preferably we'll be getting things from indigenous vendors. and from there down, we'll be getting um, organic ingredients from local Minnesota farms and things like that. Um, so just building up, expanding on the uh, the list of people that we get from, and trying out new things, um, and also just you know, make, trying to make it approachable for people.
0: All right. All right, and um, uh, where where could we find uh, the American Indian Center and uh, uh, Gatherings Cafe once it's all ready?
6: It'll be on Bloomington uh, Bloomington Street and Franklin Avenue, um, and you'll you can't miss it. It's the the biggest building on the block, and pretty much, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool looking. Um, the The structure, the shell of the building is done, and they're they're starting to build out more. So, fifteen, yeah, right there on Bloomington and Lake Street.
0: All right, all right. So this is the menu on Native America Calling. We'll be back after this break with uh, more talk about uh, Native food news.
5: Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more. All custom-printed or embroidered are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Are you a welder? For over 40 years, D&R Tank, who support this show, have provided tanks and tank maintenance to communities throughout the Southwest and is currently hiring experienced welders. Info at 505-873-1101.
0: You're tuned in to The Menu on Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking with indigenous chefs today about what's new in their kitchens. There's still time for you to join. Tell us what is new in your native community when it comes to indigenous food sovereignty projects. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I want to bring in uh, Chef Jessica Walks first. She is the executive chef and owner of Ketapan Kitchen Catering, and she's from the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. Welcome to the menu, Jessica. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, so, you know, in the, in the beginning of the show, uh, we mentioned the Chicago Bears a couple of times. Uh, that is because you are part of uh, the team in a in a in a small, you know, twice three times removed way. <laughs> the small business all pros team with the Chicago Bears. What is that, and and how did you land uh, a spot on that
3: team? So they have a program, and it's geared toward helping small businesses. So um, they take in um, applications from small businesses in the Chicagoland area, and basically they choose uh, four to promote. It's, a, it's um, but it's more than just promoting the business. Like they they give you assets that help grow your business. But then part of it is, you know, they market you. They've connected me with their social media influencers who came in and did videos with me that were shared across all their social media platforms um inside soldier field there were billboards with my name like my catering business and a qr code that went to my website and then we were actually invited to a game to carry in the bear down flag at the beginning it's not seen on tv but it was pretty cool we got to be on the field with all of the players during the national anthem so it's it's definitely interesting and it's had a lot of um assets that have benefited me as a small business and you know when you don't have large budgets for marketing and all that stuff you know having someone like the Chicago bears promote your business i mean it was it was huge i mean because of them i am triple booked for the entire next month
0: right <laughs> um what did you learn about uh marketing and branding just by uh working with uh, some of these folks with the chicago bears
3: well, you know, for me, like marketing for me has always been word of mouth. Like every client I've ever had has been word of mouth, but like, you know, I had zero knowledge of social media marketing and I was kind of, a, you know, not a fan of it just because I didn't want anybody out there promoting my business or my product if they have not been a customer of mine, because it felt, you know, it just didn't feel genuine. So I learned a lot of ways from them that I could do it myself and promote myself on social media. And I mean, I, I still am not a good at it but I'm learning I at least figured out how to work TikTok. Okay.
0: All right. And uh <laughs> you mentioned you know you're triple booked for uh November. Um it, how how much more work is that for you um from you know before you got a spot on this team?
3: Well, um, I would say last year, we were booked every day in November with the exception of Thanksgiving. This year, we're triple booked every day in November with the exception of Thanksgiving. So I definitely say, like, and I I know a lot of them, um, I would say at least a third of the new bookings have become because of the partnership with the Bears. And then a third of them are, you know, regular customers and then people who have, you know, worked with me throughout the year in other capacities. So I definitely think, like, there's been at least a 33% that boost and you know, clients because of the partnership.
0: Right. Uh tell tell us more about uh Ketapanen Kitchen. What how did you get that started and uh what does that name mean?
3: Uh, So it's been a very long um, journey for me. It started about uh, 10 years ago, and it's literally a hysterical story. I never intended to cook for a living. I've done it my whole life. Um, You know, when you're raised in a community setting, cooking is second nature. You go to community gatherings or whatever it is, any kind of large gatherings, you're in the kitchen helping. So at at five years old, my mom taught me how to cook, and by 12, I could command a kitchen. And again, it was just something you just did, and it wasn't something I thought of as a career and then I met my husband 10 years ago, and I started cooking for him. And then he never left. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what he did was he enrolled me in culinary school without my consent. Like, he literally just came over one day and handed me a brochure. He's like, okay, you, you have orientation on Monday. I'm like, huh? And I was, he's like, no, you're going to go to school. You, you're good at what you do. You should be making a career out of this. And I kind of, like, I thought of it as a joke almost. I, I did it just just to do it, and then I realized that I loved it. You know, when you add that what you take in culinary school is, you know, you add, you know, you learn technique and skill and you apply it to what you knew, you know, you already knew about cooking. And like, I realized that I truly enjoyed it and I enjoy cooking for people. And that's kind of where that dream started. And then, you know, it's, well, how are we going to do this? We thought about a food truck, we thought about a restaurant, but like, I'm used to literally cooking for crowds. So catering seemed to make the most sense. And we've just kind of spent the last seven years just cultivating that concept and figuring out how we wanted to work and how we were going to build ourselves. And it's just, you know, and some doors just kind of opened for us and some paths just appeared before us. It was almost like I was meant to do this.
0: Yeah, and, and there aren't uh, many indigenous, uh, uh, you know, cooks. Well, I, never mind, not, not, not that. But there, there aren't very many like indigenous restaurants or, um, you know, catering companies in Chicago, right? So, so it seems like you, you're pretty busy there.
3: Well, there is actually there's none. I mm. I am the only one. Mm. I did like learn of at least two that are in Wisconsin, but like when it comes to the state of Illinois and native foods, I am it. Mm. Right. So that itself is like a big, big. Um, it's a big responsibility. I, I honestly, I I did learn there's another native chef here, but he does French cuisine. So um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of room here for other native chefs to emerge. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking the other day about uh just just really how much work you are doing and just how busy you've been um you know since uh you know since starting and then <laughs> since getting on that uh All-Pros team with the Chicago Bears. Um how how are you uh how are you taking care of yourself with uh, all all of the stuff you have to juggle? <laughs>
3: Oh my God. That's the million dollar question. You know, I, I, for me, like, I have a very good team in place and they're, you know, having them in place has alleviated some of my, you know, my workload and it gives me time for me. And quite frankly, like the way I relax is a cup of coffee and a book. And if I could at least sit down and read an hour a day, that's my self-care. My other self-care is shopping, but we're not going to talk about that on the air because my husband might hear. (laughs)
0: He's going you know, you to do. do take uh, in
3: another <coughs> college class. Another program. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, no, you know, I do. I, I realize, you know, finding balance and making sure that I have time for me because exhaustion is such a real thing, especially, you know, knowing that here I'm the only Native caterer and, it's you know, November is upon us. And everybody wants Native programming and I'm spread super thin. And like, I know that it's important to take care of me because I can't do what I do. I can't meet the needs of my clients and the people that I serve if I'm exhausted. So, you know, I really have been taking a look at how, you know, to find ways, whether it's a 30 minutes a day, whether it's it's a 15 minute, go put my feet on the ground and ground myself to make sure that I'm taking care of me to keep doing what I do. And I think... I I'm doing a lot better at it now than I was a year ago, and I think it's a learned process, too, like finding time and balance when you're so busy. I mean, I, I have some wins and I have some fails at it, but I do know that it's super important, and I am actually focusing on it more this year. It's more intentional about self-care. Right. And yeah,
0: all of this work you're doing and uh, the triple work you're doing now, what did you learn about yourself and your work ethic?
3: Well, I mean, what I learned about myself is that, you know, my whole life I didn't fully believe in myself. Like, you know, I knew that I was intelligent, I knew this and I knew that, but I never accepted those things about myself. You know, and it's 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 still hard for me to accept my own accomplishments and my mm-hmm. achievements and my success. I, I try to remain humble about it, but I realize everything that I've ever dreamed of, every thing I've and set out to do i've done it and i realized that i can do every even if it's crazy and even if i think it's not possible i always seem to manage to find a way to make it happen and make it work and you know i believe in myself now more than i ever have my whole life and i just learned, if you know if you focus and if you have the passion and that 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 desire in your heart to see things happen that you can make it happen right right
0: Um, What gave you uh, the idea to focus on indigenous food?
3: Um, that would have been my business partner. So um, one of my culinary teachers, Chef John Abels, ended up becoming my business partner. And, you know, we had talked about a lot of different things because I cook all sorts of different foods. And he's like, you know, there's a niche in the market that has not been cornered in Chicago. He goes, it's indigenous foods. He goes, you know, that is what you need to be focusing on. And I'm like, well, you know, I know what I know, but I don't feel like I knew enough. So I spent a lot of time researching and that that meant, you know, driving hundreds, if not thousands of miles in my car, finding people to teach me and to learn from. And then, you know, once I I felt I had a little more knowledge, I I felt more comfortable with it. But he was really the one that pushed me there. And he said, you know, there's no representation here. You need to be that representation. And like, to me, that was pretty daunting. You know, Mm -hmm. I never imagined myself in that position. And quite frankly, I was terrified. You know, when you look at it, you know, it's like, wow, can I really do this? You know, and I think he helped me to believe that I could and put me out there. And I mean, here I am. And I guess, like I said, you know, I was meant to walk this path. I may not have realized it, but every path that appeared before me, every door that opened, every opportunity, every connection has led me to this point. And I have no choice but to believe I was meant to be here.
0: Right. So who did you uh seek out um to uh educate yourself on some of these uh indigenous ingredients and, and food ways?
3: Well, you know, what, what little is out there, you know, on the Internet, and there were some good books I read, but, like, I traveled home. I met with, you know, family members, aunties, grandmas, people that I knew that cooked or, you know, like my cousin Snooper was one of them. And then, you know, I met with a couple other family members. And, you know, like last uh, just a month ago, I met with this woman. Her name is Bonnie. She deal, She works with plants and makes teas. And I was learning from her and my nephews run the Buffalo Initiative on our reservation. I went up and I was learning from them, but it's like it's like whoever I know that may have information, I have no problem approaching and say, hey, can you teach me? I wanna learn more. And that's kind of like what I've been doing. Anything that interests me, anything I think I wanna know, I look and see who's teaching it, who's working with it. And I reach out and say, hey, I'd like to know more. Can you help me? Can you point to some resources? Do you have time for me? And that's just the way I've been doing things. It's worked out. And and it's led me to all the information I've needed so far. Wow.
0: Wow. Uh, so uh, what about plans for the future? Do you plan to expand brick and mortar? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm.
3: So that is what our next intentions are, brick and mortar. But we're also launching a nonprofit, um, the We've already, you know, have a full plan for the nonprofit. We, we're looking to purchase land here in Illinois. Um, clean soil is like the number one thing. And we wanna try, well, we don't wanna try, we're going to start a community growing space. Um, hopefully it'll expand be, beyond just growing food, you know, maybe getting duck and rabbit and bison, whatever, and just creating a space to make it accessible. Um, you know, in Chicago, there's over 100,000 native people. Many of us live far from our traditional homelands. Getting foods that, you know, speak to our soul, it kind of, it's either you go home, somebody sends them to you, but it's not easily accessible here in Chicago. So creating that space for the, you know, to make those foods accessible, but also a space for learning about them, a space for community to come together and work together to build a sustainable, you know, food waste system here in Illinois is my ultimate goal. I mean, the brick and mortar is important, but I think building this nonprofit trumps that
0: right right and what are you excited to uh research and learn about uh in the in the future
3: you know what there's so much i i don't know i i'll be honest with you and Mm -hmm. here's my thing i love cooking i love learning about stuff but i don't have a green thumb like i kill i kill succulents (laughs) it's horrible so i think my next You know, I think my next thing that I'm most excited about is I need how to learn to grow. I need to to learn how to work with the soil with my own hands because to fully, you know, grasp the spirit of that food, you have to have that relationship with the seed. So I think that's where I'm working towards. That's what I'm most excited about is I need to be able to have all the pieces, and that's the one piece I'm missing. And like I said, you know, growing is an important part of even cooking, so I need to know that. To uh, feel confident in going forward.
0: All right. All right. I want to go back to uh, our guest, uh, Vernon Defoe, over at uh, Gatherings Cafe. Uh, Vernon, you've been chefing for, you know, 20 plus years. Um, You've worked in a space just like uh, Jessica is talking about. What uh, maybe words of uh, uh, maybe inspiration or encouragement do you have for her? Is there maybe a, a, you know, a tip you want to leave with Jessica about going into uh this um you know this bigger space in in chicago
6: um honestly i was just listening and i think that everything she's doing is she's doing really good and i think she's doing it the right way um i do know that there is like the the one of the one of the things where i really learned a lot is the great lakes intertribal food summit Mm -hmm. that happens annually um and that's, that's really where, uh, the like, my knowledge started to increase immensely just because it's a gathering of um, chefs from all over the country or just people that want to be chefs um, and people like farmers and meat producers all kind of joined together and um, learning about all these different ways of doing things, you know, learning about the Mohawk corn, how they do things out west or out east and, uh, you know, learning about salmon and stuff like that from the west coast. And Mm -hmm. it's just great getting together and it's just a huge knowledge area. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, exchange of knowledge and uh, recipe testing and tasting. I've seen all of those um, videos and, and uh, photos from those events in the past. Um, well, that's uh, the end of the show today. I'd like to say thank you to our guests, Vernon Defoe, Jessica first, and Sarah Cabulso olson
5: Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk, Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. Include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at SweetgrassTradingCo.com. Ho-Chunk, Inc. supports this show. Skugdash, support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived tepary beans, pinole, traditional wheat flours, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com. farms.com. Domnja.
6: How mitakepiki? Which shows <laughs> ane a maki glag unwo? Niti wahere na whichotiki o i taki ayo. Iti pejuta glustamp tacha. R.S.V., seasonal flu and COVID-19, which I got to pay for it. It's a lot of time. I'm going to talk to you about this week, which I got to pay for it. I'm going to talk Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis, Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.